All right. Good morning, Mercy Hill Church. All right. We're glad that you're here this morning. Hey, I want to read to you from Psalm 98. The psalmist writes, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. I'm curious, how have you seen the salvation of our God in your, in your life this last week? How has God answered a prayer? Or how has he encouraged you or reminded you of the love that he has for you? I got a microphone. I love... Paul, you got something? So this week on Friday, I was going to the hospital for re-entry training. They're going to start allowing chaplains to come back to the hospital to visit with patients and families. But earlier in the week, I went to get my hair cut, and it turned out the lady who cut my hair remembered me from my old Starbucks ministry. And so that was a neat chance to get to pray for her and her family to be able to continue to use me, even in this time of waiting. Oh, wow. That's great, Paul. Yeah. A lot happened during COVID and uh, a lot changed, but God's still faithful, isn't he? Somebody else, how have you been reminded of God's love for you this week? So Ben had shared uh, about a month ago that we had been all excited about a new school for Solomon, and that um, turned out to be not the best plan. And so we were kind of uh, not sure what to do. And God had um, been, there's a school next door to us, like within walking distance, less than a mile. And Ben had said, what, what about that one? And I said, no, nah, it's not a good school. And then my special ed coordinator was like, what about that one? I said, no, nah, it's not a good school. And then she, called somebody and said, yeah, it is a good school. Try it out. And I'm like, no, it's not a good school. And then the director of the Libertas school that I'm working at said, why don't you try that one? I said, no, it's not a good school. He goes, well, I'm going to call somebody who has been the SPED director there for four years and <clears throat> see if they recommend it. And so he called them. He said, yeah, it's a great school. Check it out. I was like, oh, okay. So I had been given the person's phone number and email prior to this, but I had just ignored it. So I called her and it was amazing. She was just on point with everything that I had ever hoped for. And it's free and it's walking distance. And um, I was like running the next morning to turn in the paperwork thinking somebody would get there before me and it was too good to be true. And crying and running through the parking lot. And when I got there, they were so worn. And they were like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. And welcome to the team. And I would like to give you a parent t-shirt. And I'm so glad Solomon will be here. So I just felt like God had been trying to love me all this time. And I hadn't paid attention to it. Thanks, Jessica. That's an answered prayer for sure. I've been praying that this last week. So encouraging. Anybody else? Grant says he's got something, and 
Michael does too, but I'm not sure. <laughs> but we're glad y'all are here. <laughs> uh, yeah, God, God has exactly what we need, and He's a great provider. And um, I'm just reminded, I was, um, our family was at the beach this last week, and I think it was Wednesday morning, that, um, or Tuesday morning, that I was running and praying for, so and God put Solomon on my heart in the school situation. And it's just, that's just a great reminder that God provides. And it's much closer, His provision is much closer than we often realize. And so um, this last week, I've just been dwelling on the 23rd Psalm that God is a God who is without lack and that we can live lives that are not lacking because he is our good shepherd and uh, he leads us by still waters and he restores our soul. And so um, I'm just gonna, um, as we prepare to worship, Michael's gonna instruct us again in the same thing. But the Psalms over and over say the same things over and over again. I think because we need to be reminded of them over and over again. And so Psalm 98 verse 4, I'll pick up where I stopped reading. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King the Lord. We make a joyful noise because we are reminded that God loves us and that He is a great provider. And this morning, you may see evidence of His provision that's right in front of you. There may be things that you are praying about and where you need His provision. We sing with the hope of the gospel and the fact that Jesus is good news and that He is all that we need. So stand with us together and let's sing together. All right, let's continue in uh, call to worship. Uh, look at Psalm 150 with me. We'll read the whole chapter. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Those deeds are mighty. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. with me at Psalm 32 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. 
Uh, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have forgiven those iniquities, those sins. God, we come to you as individuals confessing them to you, God. We do not live a perfect week, a perfect day, a perfect moment. But God, we have you and your mercy and your grace and your Son and your Holy Spirit, God. You are within us and we come before you gracious but broken. So God, we ask for your forgiveness and your grace. We love you. We thank you for everything you've done for us. And you're our pray. Amen. Good morning, kids. How are y'all doing? Good. Did you have a good week? Did you enjoy your summer? Yeah. All right. My name is Miss Alyssa, and adults, I'm also glad to be with you this morning. I'm going to read our children's story while our little ones are going to their rooms and our bigger ones are staying with us. Today, I got the jackpot in getting to read stories because I get to read the story that's called He's Here, and it's from Luke 1 through 2 says, everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. Can you hold your breath? <gasps> Okay, now you can let go. Don't want you to pass out on me. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking in the darkness, he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. I would be too. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said. And he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescue. And kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How, how can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God, Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. Sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. 
Now Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found that every room was full. Every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeepers told them. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Soon, Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old, tumble-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there, in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born, his baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us, because of course he had. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you that you came. Father, everything changed because you came. And Lord, in this past year and a half that we've been living in, Lord, we've realized what a gift it is to be able to dwell with people, Father. But that's just a glimpse of what it is that you came to dwell with us, Lord. That you came to be with us, near us, Father. That you drew near when there was nothing we could do, Father. When there was no way for us to make things right with you, you sent your son, Jesus. You came to heaven, Father, as our Emmanuel. Father, thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for how it changes every single aspect of our lives. Thank you for how Jesus turned everything around for us, Lord. When all looked lost, you came. So, Father, for any of us who are in a hard spot right now, Father, I pray that the truth of your word that we've just shared right here, Lord, would pierce our hearts, that we would remember you came, you dwell with us, Lord. And that's the gift that we get to carry with us each and every day, through every circumstance, through every difficulty, Lord. You are with us. You dwell within us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys guys have a treat this morning. Um, Invited our friend Greg Jackson to come and preach today. And uh, I just told Greg I wanted to say a quick word of introduction. Um, Greg's at the Table Church in East Memphis. Um, his neighborhood is probably easiest to describe over by Richland Elementary, which is where uh, Riley, our, our first son, uh, went to kindergarten back before we moved to Nashville back in the day. And I um, just have a lot of fond memories about that, that neighborhood. But Greg left Living Hope uh, two, three years ago now. And Living Hope sent him out. Living Hope out in Piperton sent him out back into the city in East Memphis in order to plant a church. And... I'm so excited to introduce Greg to you and say that he is quickly becoming a good friend. And that might sound weird to say becoming. Like, why wouldn't you say he's just a good friend? Well, I think he's quickly becoming a good friend because we've known each other a couple years. In fact, Mercy Hill supports uh, the Table Church financially a little bit. We hope to keep doing that more and more over the next few years. But I see our friendship being a long friendship. And um, we're so grateful what God is doing in Memphis. We're part of the Soma family of churches. 
You guys know we're committed to making disciples in the everyday stuff of life and seeing those disciples multiply through missional communities. And uh, Greg is also in that same kind of framework and, and structure of making disciples and letting, teaching people what it means to experience Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. And he's one of four other churches. And so there's five Soma churches that are at least have this framework and this mindset. They're not yet in the adoption process, but they hang out and do all the Soma stuff with us. And so it's five churches. I don't think there's another city in the U.S. that has more than one Soma church. And so we're just so grateful for this brotherhood and this kind of uh, pastor's collective that he's given us here. For the last six months, we've been um, had the, the joy just to be able to fast together and to, we meet once a month and break our fast together and have a meal. And um, that's bigger than just the Soma family churches. There's several churches that are part of that. And I see Josh Germany in the room. Apparently today's uh, church planner days from New Heights, Memphis. So we're glad you're here, Josh. We're going to pull you into that collective too. But I'm just so thankful to have pastor friends and that God is up to something. It's really unusual. You guys may not know this, but churches aren't usually very good friends with other churches. We just don't know how to do that. And I would say that's not just a Memphis problem. But God, in His grace, is allowing us to have friendships where we can partner together. And so, Greg, we're thankful you're here today. I know you're pulling double duty. You'll be preaching tonight. But I've told Greg we want to continue to serve them well. They're going to be launching sometime this fall, moving to Sunday mornings. He may tell you more about that. But we want to serve them in the future, whether that's sending some folks to do child care for the first month or... um, just however we can help them, uh, we want to help them take a good step forward as, we, as they shift to Sunday mornings. We know how strategic that is and how hard that step is. So, man, I want to pray yeah. for you real quick. You, and then, yeah. so thankful you're here and so looking forward to how God blesses us today. God, we thank you for this day that we can worship you. And God, I thank you for Greg and Table Church and for Bree and their family and just all that you're doing in East Memphis. Um, God, we do not look upon small things lightly. God, we, in our own lives, we're just a small group of believers here. But God, you've said that your kingdom moves forward uh, through a mustard seed. And as that seed grows up, that it turns into a huge tree where birds come and nest and it provides shade for many. And so God, we look at uh, the way in which you are shaping us into the character of Jesus. The way that you are teaching us hard lessons is we live in relationship with one another and as we learn what it means to follow you, Jesus, in the everyday stuff of life. And God, we pray that your kingdom would continue to come to Memphis Mm. through the Table Church and through Mercy Hill. Um, God, through Eastside Community Church, through New Heights, Memphis. Uh, God, through Island Community Church. and God, through so many churches where you're at work, through Renewal and the Refuge. And God, we pray that your kingdom would come and that we would see a work in Memphis that could only be explained by your Spirit. So God, teach us more today what it means for us to follow you and to learn how to be with Jesus. Teach us through Greg and your word this morning, we pray. Jesus, in your precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah, so first of all, I just want to say thank you to you from the Table Church. Um, I wish I could accurately convey how thankful we are for you as a church, but I don't think I could do it unless I started crying, which may happen as I talk about this. But um, those of you who've been around here for a while, and I'm talking back to Cafe Eclectic days, um, you know the struggle of the first couple years of a church plant. 
birth is always a painful thing, right? And it definitely has been for us. And the enemy is working overtime to snuff out new gospel work in the city. He doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want it to take shape. And so we desperately need the church in Memphis to rally around church plants, just like Mercy Hill has done with us and continues to do for us. It is extraordinary and out of the ordinary uh, for a church to support us the way that you guys have. So we're grateful, and I want to use uh, the words of Paul to the Philippian church to express it from Philippians 1. He says, when we think of you and pray for you, it brings us joy. Why? Because of your true partnership with us in the gospel from our first day as a church until now. And I know it's true partnership when you give when it hurts. When you give when you don't have the money to give, but you give anyway. So that's how we know that it's true partnership. And we hold you in our heart because we are all partakers of the same grace and we love you with the affection of Christ. Now, that kind of language sounds a little too much to our ears, and maybe we're not there yet as one local church loving another local church. But, as Brad alluded to, your pastor and I are getting there in that kind of closeness, that kind of friendship. And I believe it's possible for our churches to get there as well. In fact, I think it's important that we get there in love and partnership as local churches working together, if we truly want to see the gospel go forth in Memphis as God wants it to, as God intends for it to. So let's all pray for that and work toward that, not just for the Table Church and for Mercy Hill, but for all the churches in our city. So that's not what I'm here to talk about. I could go on and on about that, about the importance of that. I know you hear that from Brad often, but um, I want to talk about something even more important that you've been really digging into this summer, and that is what does it mean to be with Jesus? What does it mean to be with Jesus? None of the rest of this really matters if we're not learning to follow Jesus more closely every day. If we're not hearing from God and responding to him in our day-to-day, then we're missing it. And yet, so many of us are missing it myself included. And Brad has said in this series that we can know the truths of Jesus but not follow the way of Jesus, which the enemy is very pleased with. The deceiver would have us believe that knowing most of the right biblical answers about Jesus is enough, even if we're not walking, talking, listening to Jesus most days. The enemy would be happy with that. So as Brad has been driving home the last few weeks, it is possible to continually hear from and respond to God's Spirit. That is possible in our lives. And Brad's been very open about how he's learning that in his personal life. I'm learning that as well. I've been in ministry since I was 19, but I'm only just now learning what does it mean to actually hear the Spirit and respond to the Spirit day to day. Now, this may sound obvious that you can do that, but it's not so easy to live like it's true, right? We often live like it's not true, right? To read the Bible stories of God calling people, and then we wish that he still made it that easy today, right? So we're going to talk about Moses, a very similar, I mean, a very familiar story this morning, Moses in the burning bush. And in that story, we often think, well, man, if God would just do that today, if he would just speak to me 
through a burning bush, or if he would just drop an angel in the middle of this room and speak to us, then of course we would respond. Of course we would respond in devotion and obedience if God did that for us. Well, keep that in mind as we look at Moses' call and how he responded. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. So there's Bibles in your pews if you don't have one that you brought with you. And if you want to turn to Exodus 3 and Exodus 4, we're going to look at selected verses through these two chapters. We're going to start with Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. This is God's Word. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, you may be familiar with Moses' story. Most of you probably are, but we want to quickly recap. So the Egyptian pharaoh has ordered all the Hebrew children to be killed, but Moses is rescued, right, from a basket floating down a river by who? By Pharaoh's daughter. But one day he sees a soldier mistreating one of his people. So after growing up in Pharaoh's household, he still remembers who he is, and he sees a soldier mistreating one of his people, a Hebrew slave. And out of anger, Moses kills him and buries him in the sand. So because of that, he has to run for his life. And that's how he ends up a shepherd tending sheep in the wilderness. And looking back, it's clear. Looking back over his life, it's clear that God was setting things up for this very moment from the day Moses was born. Actually, from before he was born, God was setting things up God was preparing this way for Moses to walk in. And the same is true for each of us. Of course, your story is not this dramatic. God's call to you is not as world-changing as Moses's, but it's just as real. God's call to you is just as real as it was to Moses. And everything you've been through, from birth to now, has been preparation for this moment in your life. For right now, for whatever he calls you to do next, God has been preparing you for that. We all have everything we need to do what God is calling us to do next. Do you believe that? That God has given you everything you need to do what he is calling you to do next. In the next hour, tomorrow, or next week, you have what you need to do what he's calling you to do. I don't know about you, but I need to recite Ephesians 2.10 to myself every day. That we are what? His workmanship. We are his craftsmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For specific good works, which God prepared beforehand, in advance, before today, before salvation, before birth, for us to walk in. And Moses here is a great example of this. He grew up in Pharaoh's palace. Why? Why did God arrange for that to happen? Because God wanted him to have access to the Pharaoh, and to know how to handle himself at the highest levels. And even right up to the moment of the call from the burning bush, God is preparing Moses. So what's Moses doing? He's tending, leading, and protecting a flock of sheep. He's shepherding. So what could he have learned in that role to prepare him to lead hundreds of thousands of people out of slavery? He could have learned a lot, right? So in this role as a shepherd, working in obscurity, God's been working something crucial into Moses' heart. Probably the most important thing. 
If you think about it, he's gone from living in Pharaoh's palace to sleeping with stinky sheep out in the wilderness for around 40 years. That's what he's been doing. So what was Moses learning in that time? Maybe some humility? Maybe a willingness, a finely honed ability to listen to God? So if we stay in step with God's Spirit, all of life is preparation for what? For the next thing that he's calling us to do. So let's get on to the crazy burning bush now. Look at verse 2. We're going to look at verses 2 through 6. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you were standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Okay, so the bush was on fire. And this would have been a strange enough thing, walking through the desert and you see a bush randomly on fire. But as he looked closer, he noticed what? The bush was not burning up. It was not being consumed. Now we see that the flame was actually the angel of the Lord appearing to Moses. This angel of the Lord appears throughout the Old Testament. And as you may have heard before, many theologians feel that whenever he shows up, this is the pre-incarnate, this is the pre-Bethlehem Jesus making an appearance. And there's a good argument for that here in this story because what does he say? What does he say in verse 2? The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. And then verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out at the bush. So this likely was God the Son appearing to and speaking to Moses. But either way, this was God speaking to one of his children. So what does he say and how does Moses respond? What is he saying and how does Moses respond? God calls out Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. Now, of course, God had not lost sight of Moses. God wasn't trying to track him down. He wasn't moving from bush to bush all over the desert trying to find Moses. He knew where he was. Verse 4, the Lord saw him. Yahweh was speaking to Moses at just the right time, at just the right place. And Moses' here I am wasn't to identify his location. He was saying, I'm listening. When he said, here I am, he is saying, I am listening, Lord. I'm ready to hear from you. So think about it. What made this place holy ground? What made this place holy ground? Why did Moses need to take his sandals off here? Think about it. This was just a dusty piece of desert the day before, the hour before. Minutes before, this was just a dusty piece of desert. But now, it was holy ground. Why? Why? Because God was there and because God was speaking. That's why it was holy ground. God was there and God was speaking. Yahweh was revealing himself to a man, so this became holy ground. 
Now, God identifying himself here seems necessary because, I mean, this could have been one of hundreds of other local or national gods speaking to Moses. But in another way, it shouldn't have been necessary. Why? Because Yahweh is the only God who speaks. Yahweh is the only God who speaks, so it had to be him. If we look at Habakkuk 2.18, there are several passages like this one in the Bible where other gods and idols are mocked because they can't speak. But look at Habakkuk 2.18. Habakkuk says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. So really, the fact that God spoke was the only identification that he needed. But he also says in verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In other words, he's saying, I'm the God who revealed myself to your forefathers. I'm the one who revealed myself and worked in power in their lives, in the stories that you've all heard. That's me. That's the God that's speaking to you now. And when he hears this, Moses hides his face. He's afraid to look at God. Why? Well, because of what he knows about God and because of what Moses knows about himself. He knows that this is a holy, perfect, matchless God. And he knows that he is not that. So he hides his face, shielding his face from the glory. But notice he doesn't run away and hide. He's hiding his face. Shielding himself from the glory, but he doesn't run away and hide. No, Moses shields his face, but he stays. He's afraid of the presence, but he doesn't want to leave it. And that's the perfect picture of the experience of all. The experience of all that we all need to have regularly in our lives. It's the paradox of being in God's presence. You want to run, but you can't. You want to run, but you can't because you're so drawn to him. Right? It's the combination of awesome power and holiness mixed with equal parts, mercy, and love. And only God possesses that combination. So when was the last time you experienced that? If it's been too long, maybe never, then maybe we're not paying attention. Maybe we're not paying attention. When he's ready to speak, maybe we haven't dropped everything and said, here I am. So are we prepared? Are we ready to do that? Or is there just too much to do? Or is there too much depending on us? Are there too many plates spinning, too much on our list to take time to be still and listen to God? I mean, maybe if I lived in a convent, right? Maybe if I lived 3,000 years ago when things were simpler, So do we see what the enemy's done? He's convinced us that it's just not possible to stop and listen to God. We're too busy. We're too important to the people in our lives. And one thing that's harder to say is we're we're too busy being entertained to stop and listen. Consider this. Wherever we are becomes holy ground when God is speaking to us. Right? Wherever we are becomes holy ground when God... Is speaking to us, but we won't take time to remove our shoes to sit down and listen. Why? 
Well, there's many reasons, but underneath it all, I believe we just don't get who it is that's communicating with us. We just don't get who it is that's trying to communicate with us. It's another paradox. Because he speaks to us in a what? In a still, small voice. He won't shout, but he's the most fearsome, mighty being in the universe. That's why what? We have to learn to meditate on him. To meditate on what his word tells us about his person and character. We must keep our eyes fixed on the hills where our help comes from. We must learn to set our eyes on Jesus. And when we see him for who he is, we wouldn't dare miss his call. Right? When we're regularly seeing him for who he is, we wouldn't dare miss his call. This is the alpha and the omega. The beginning and the end. The creator and sustainer of all life. The savior of the whole universe. And he wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to reveal his will to us. And we won't stop long enough to take off our sandals, sit down, and listen. Now, just like every story in Scripture, Moses is not the hero here. God is. Even though God is speaking to him audibly from a miraculous burning bush, the thing we wish he would do for us, Moses still doesn't do everything right. But he gets this right. His initial response is right. It's appropriate because he gets in a position of humble awe, ready to listen. So let's continue verses 7 through 9. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So first, God tells Moses, I'm a God who sees and hears. I'm a God who sees and hears. In Hebrew, he is El Roy and El Shema. And this is the best news possible for his children especially when we're suffering, when we're struggling, that our God sees and hears us when we call out to him. And this was amazing. This was incredible news to Moses. Moses must have been thinking, yes, finally, God, you have seen what your people are going through down here, and now you're going to do something about it. You're going to take us out of this horrible situation. You're going to take us to a big, plentiful land of our own. Our deliverer has come. Hallelujah. So Moses must have been ecstatic over the moon until, verse 10, God says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Hold on now. You're sending who? Excuse me, what was that? (laughs) Who are you sending? Moses is thrown here. He's disoriented. He's stunned. And so pretty quickly, what does he do? He starts to find every reason that he can that this is a bad idea. And he goes first to questions about his own identity, which is where we usually go first thing. Look at verse 11 and 12. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. 
When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Who am I? Who am I? This is the number one question that the enemy likes to plant in our minds. He says, who are you? He says, well, I know who you are. You're the one that's filled with fear, the one with way too little courage. You're the one that's not smart enough. You're the one that sinned 30 minutes ago. That's who you are. And so what is God's response to Moses? Moses, when he says, who am I, Lord? Does God say, hold on, Moses. That's no way to talk about yourself. You're great. Look, here's a list of all the best attributes that you bring to the table. Everything that made me choose you for this. Is that what God says? No. No. Instead, what does God say? He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. In other words, none of your excuses matter, even though most of them are true, because I will be with you. Who are you, Moses? You're my man for the job. Who are you? You're God's man or woman for the job. But Moses keeps coming pretty hard with the excuses, right? Verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So, first Moses argues that there's no way that he could confront the mighty Pharaoh. Why? Because he's measuring himself against Pharaoh instead of measuring God against Pharaoh. And how often do we do that? Measuring ourselves and our abilities against the task or problem that's in front of us. Instead of measuring our all-powerful, almighty God against it, we measure ourselves against it. Now, COVID has done the church a favor in Memphis and in the U.S. as a whole because it's exposed or accelerated the great changes and challenges that are facing us. I couldn't list all of them for you, but there are plenty of articles and books out there to help you tap into your feeling of panic. Um, I don't know about you, but that feeling grips me pretty often these days, a feeling of panic. When I consider just these things, the impact of social media, smartphones on us, our growing mental health crisis, the divisions in culture and in church along racial and political lines, the growing apathy and antagonism toward Christianity in our culture. I don't need to continue, right? Are you feeling it yet? Because <laughs> I feel it almost daily. Our recognition as the church that the old methods are not working leaves us at a loss with not just a new game board, but a new game to play in kingdom work. So what do we do? If we keep measuring the task and the problems against us, then what are we going to do? We're going to live in fear. We're going to live in hopelessness. And we're going to give up altogether. But there is another option. There is another option. Moses compares himself to Pharaoh, right? And he's gripped by fear. Then he compares himself to the hundreds of thousands of people that he's supposed to lead from slavery to the promised land. And he just doesn't think the people will believe him. 
He's like, they're not going to follow me. They're not going to believe me. They will want to know who this God is. They will question whether this is really the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who called them. So Moses started with really the wrong question when he said, who am I? But now he gets to the exact right question, who are you? He's looking to God and saying, who are you, God? And God says, tell the people this. Tell them this is what's on my ID. I am who I am. Just tell them I am has sent you. Now this is where we get the name Yahweh for God. Then we're not exactly sure how it was said. Because out of reverence, the Jews wouldn't write or say the full name for centuries. They took the vowels out, so we don't know what vowels are actually supposed to be in there. So we don't know exactly how to pronounce it. But we do know what God is saying about himself here. That much is clear. He's identifying himself as the only being that's always been and always will be. He's the only self-existent being in the universe. The only one with no creator. He's the only one with no beginning and no end. And by the way, this is what Jesus called himself in John chapter 8. And it was really the beginning of the end for him. Because the religious leaders are like, we can't have him calling himself, I am. Which he was. So God answers this question for Moses and goes on to say, tell them I promise to bring them out of Egypt into the promised land. Yes, Pharaoh's going to resist, but I will compel him with my mighty hand and he will let you go. But just like we tend to do, Moses quickly shifts the attention back on himself in Exodus chapter 4. And in chapter 4 verse 1, he says to God, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. Now, that word behold, it's interesting. This is usually a word that the prophets used when sharing God's message with the people. And it can also be translated, look. So, Moses is saying to God, look, <laughs> I know these people, God. Look, God, I know these people, and they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to follow me. So Moses is getting more and more bold. And God remains patient with Moses. God doesn't strike him down. Why? Well, this story demonstrates very well an important truth about God that we need to embrace this morning. He is determined. He is passionate about us hearing his voice and responding to his call. God is passionate about us hearing his voice and responding to his call. He wants that for us just like he wanted it for Moses. So, God gave Moses three miracles to use to prove the validity of the message. The first one was, as you all know, turning his staff into a snake. Then he could pick the snake up and it would turn back into a staff. The second one, he could put his hand in his cloak, pull it out, it would be leprous, put it back in, and it would be back to normal. Then the last one, he could take a cup of water from the Nile, pour it out, and it would turn into blood. So those are pretty convincing, Right? But these signs were still not enough for Moses. He keeps coming strong with his excuses. Look at verses 10 through 12 of chapter 4. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, 
Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So Moses comes back with another swing here. He really didn't want to take this call. Why? Well, it's because he's disconnected from God's power and the Spirit of God in his life. In his mind, the power and Spirit of God is disconnected from him in his real life and his existence day to day. So he says, I'm not eloquent. Either in the past, and as you can hear, you still haven't fixed it, God. That's what he's saying. I've got this problem. I've talked to you about it a lot, and you still haven't fixed it. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now the Lord has almost had it with the questioning and the doubting. You can just hear it as he answers, Who made man's mouth? Who made you the way you are? You think I don't know about your speech? Go, and I will be your mouth, and I'll teach you what to say. So how about us? Moses wasn't wrong. He did have trouble speaking. But God is not unaware of our shortcomings and our weaknesses. And we all have limitations, and that's a good thing, actually. That's a good thing because that's how God made us. It's something we should embrace because God made us with each and every frustrating limitation that we have. You can't speak good. You have a stutter. God knew that would be an issue for you before you were born. But why does he give us limits and weaknesses? Why doesn't he take them away as soon as we become one of his children? Well, because as Jesus told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, his grace is sufficient for us. For his power is made perfect in our weakness. In our weakness is when his power is is made perfect. So, we should do what? We should move forward and watch for how God is going to meet us in our weakness and need. We should move forward in faith, expectantly waiting for how he is going to meet us in our weakness and in our need. How exciting is that kind of life? So let's continue our last few verses and we'll be done. Verses 13 through 17. But Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth, and with his mouth, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So Moses drops all pretense here. He finally says, oh Lord, please, please send someone else. I'm out of excuses, but would you please send somebody else? And now the Lord is angry. Why? Because what is Moses telling God here? Moses is saying, I'm not enough for this. And God, I don't trust you to be enough either. I'm not enough to do this. And God, I don't trust you to be enough either. But God, even in his anger, he's still extravagantly gracious and patient with Moses. And he reveals exactly what he plans to do about his limitation. The Lord says, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? 
Did you forget about him? I know that he can speak well. So I've already sent him out to meet you. And he's ready to go. Is that not amazing? Think about this. God had already sent Aaron in Moses' direction. He'd already sent him out. Before Moses even shared his fears and doubts, God already had a plan to help him. And the same is true for us, for me and you, for Mercy Hill, for the table. God knows where we're weak, and he's ready to meet us there. Now, of course, God met us in our greatest need by sending Jesus, right, to live, to die, and to rise for us. And remembering that will convince us that today, this morning, God has already worked to meet you in your need. He's already prepared the person you need to walk with you. He's already got the support waiting, however he chooses to provide it. He will even give you the very words to say if that's your fear. But he already knows how he will overcome your limitations. And we get the joy of discovering it over and over again as we walk with Jesus, as we stay in step with the Spirit, we get to see how he planned to meet us in our weakness even before we were born. And now, God reminds Moses to do what? In verse 17, grab your staff. Grab your staff. Now to close, one of the most impactful, encouraging books I've ever read uh, is called No Little People by Francis Schaeffer. And I read this book and the passage we're about to talk about as I was beginning to ease into church planting, uh, fearfully easing into church planting. And he begins the book in chapter 1 comparing us to Moses' shepherd's staff. Listen to what he says. God directed Moses' attention to the simplest thing imaginable, the staff in his own hand, a shepherd's rod, a stick of wood somewhere between three and six feet long. Moses probably had carried the same staff for years since he'd been a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years. It's entirely possible that this wood had been dead that long, just a stick of wood. But when Moses obeyed God's command to toss it to the ground, it became a serpent. Moses himself fled from it. God next ordered him to take it by the tail, and when he did, it became a rod again. Then God told him to go and confront the power of Egypt and meet Pharaoh face to face with this rod in his hand. And Exodus 4.20 tells us the secret of all that followed, the staff of Moses had become the staff of God. The staff of Moses had become the staff of God. And so this staff shows up throughout Moses' story. God tells him to place it in the Red Sea in the water's part, to strike it against a rock and water comes out, to hold it over a whole army and the battle was won. Schaefer continues, God so used a stick of wood can be a banner cry for each of us. Though we are limited and weak in talent, physical energy, and psychological strength, we are not less than a stick of wood. But as the staff of Moses had to become the staff of God, so that which is me must become the me of God. Then I can become useful in God's hands. The scripture emphasizes that much can come from little if the little is truly consecrated or surrendered to God. 
There are no little people and no big people in the true spiritual sense, but only consecrated and unconsecrated people. The problem for each of us is applying the truth to ourselves. Is Francis Schaeffer the Francis Schaeffer of God? Is Greg Jackson the Greg Jackson of God? Is the Table Church the Table Church of God? Is Mercy Hill the Mercy Hill of God? So God infused this ordinary tool, a shepherd's staff with extraordinary power. With God, a shepherd's staff became a weapon that brought down kingdoms. So here's a question to close. Will we make it our priority to be with Jesus? Will we make it our priority to be with Jesus? If we will learn to be with Jesus, to walk with him, to stay in step with his spirit, then we can hear his call and respond in obedience. We can share his yoke, as he promises, and experience him working in and through us. If not, if we're too fearful, if we're too busy or distracted to stop, if we're too distracted to take off our, our sandals and stop and listen to him, if we're too fearful and self-absorbed to trust and obey, then we will remain a stick of wood. Let's pray. Please, Lord, Father, for each of us, for me, God, don't let that happen. Father, let the mercy Hill Community Church be the mercy hill of God. Let the table church be the table church of God. Father, you so used a stick of wood, so use us. Father, teach us to be with Jesus so this, this can be a reality for us. So that in your hands, used for your good purposes. We can run the race that you've marked out for us, God. You long for that. You want that more than anything. You are passionate about us hearing and responding to your will. So help us to stop, take off our sandals, and listen. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks so much, Greg. I love the fact that you brought that story back to us that many of us it's a familiar story, so we can think on it and continue to dwell on it today and this next week and allow God to continue to teach us from that story. For me, what I'm taking away is, is just how powerful God moved in contrast to when Moses tried to move in his own power. It didn't work out, but when he trusted in God's power, how innumerable, immeasurable God moved. And so this week, I want to I want to come to God and trust in His power. And I just encourage each of us to continue to bring our needs to God. Bring our needs to Him. How can He move unless we ask for help? And the easiest way for us to ask for help is to continue to bring our needs to Him and to see how He moves. We're going to celebrate and end today by uh, celebrating communion. So at the end of each of your, your pews, you'll see some small containers that have our COVID-friendly communion. And um, we are going to split up into our missional communities, though, in order to celebrate communion. Before you do that, I just want to read you uh, a verse from Paul in 2 Corinthians 2. Paul tells us, he says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. 
And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. As we celebrate communion today, we're reminded of Jesus' broken body, of His blood that was shed for us. And it's a real contrasting moment. Because for some people in this room, this is a celebration of life. For others in this room, it is a reminder of the death they are living the darkness and the shadow that they continue to live because they live their life apart from Jesus. And so as we come together, I encourage each of our missional communities, declare the gospel, remind each other of the goodness of the gospel. And remind those who aren't yet followers of Jesus, who don't yet know the gospel, who are living in darkness, and challenge them, beg them, Encourage them that they would surrender their life to Jesus. The stewards are going to be over on this side. Uh, our missional community will be up front. The Nasons are in the back. Uh, Richard's over on that side. Now, Jessica, you can join up with the Nasons today. You guys, let's, let's meet up and let's celebrate communion. And then we'll finish with one last song. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. I just want to take a second and thank Van. Um, you guys, I know that you don't do this professionally. Nobody gets paid. You just guys show up and figure it out every Sunday morning. And um, you do a great job. And so we're really grateful for all of y'all. Ellis is learning how to play bass back there. He did a great job this morning, man. Appreciate you figuring it out along the way. So, so grateful for so many of you. Samantha in the back, you're here oftentimes. There's a lot that I'm reminded being out of town last week. There's a lot that happens to make Sunday mornings just kind of work from childcare workers to lots of organization and a lot of y'all who nobody's paid gives a lot of time to make this happen. Y'all know who you are. We don't have time to call your names, but thank you so much for all that y'all do. It's really, really meaningful. Um, today, right before our benediction, I just want to remind you, we're kind of looking at the second half of the year. So June's, man, first half of the year is already over and we're kind of looking at the second half of the year that's like you know, not so COVID related. And so there's some dates that will be coming up, some, uh, some picnics or potlucks that we're going to schedule to kind of end the summer, invite the neighborhood to finally kind of come out. We're trying to figure that out. If we're going to have some food trucks out front or exactly how we're going to do it, have some music. Somebody's excited about that. We've got some events that are coming up. We're actually hosting a Saturate the South event with SOMA. It's going to be right here in September. Uh, Jeff Vanderstelt's going to be here uh, teaching. So we'll give you more information about that. We're hosting along with other SOMA churches in Memphis, a SOMA school here in November. So we'll have people who are, we've already got some folks who are registered, people traveling in nationally and a few traveling in internationally, mainly church planners. Uh, some guys here on staff, guys and gals. And so we're excited. We'll have about 25 to 30 who are a part of SOMA school. And then all the SOMA pastors from across the city, along with Chuck Geschwin, will be coming in helping to teach that time. It'll be a Thursday through a Monday. We'll get you more dates on some of that. Um, all of those training times, you'll have the opportunity to come into any of them for free because we're hosting SOMA school. So that's something that's exciting. Some other dates that are out there. I think there's a, uh, an art walk that's scheduled for October. So lots of stuff that's going on that's going to be fun for us to be a part of. Um, we'll get you those dates. Today we, in our benediction, invite you to 
uh, stretch out your hands and receive these words from 1 Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You're dismissed.